0: Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org. I, I wonder why I show a video like that. Um, some of you think sometimes that being a part of a team is all nice and nicey. But sometimes, team members need a team member to get, it, them to get in their grill. you can get intense. If you've got convictions about how things ought to be done, there ought to be that kind of thing. And we've got a piece of scripture that talks about that. We've been watching over the last several weeks of a team of people being put together to lead our country into a new time. I don't know if uh, you talking about policies or anything like that right now. You want to talk about, 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 about leadership and a transition a, and a moment. And my, my, my question is, that team has been, been being assembled. I wonder how many of them are in it for the right reasons. I wonder if they're there to serve or they just want to ride the train. You know what I mean? I wonder, I think it to myself, like, in four years or eight years, how many of them will still be playing? You know what I mean? I, I wonder, I, my, 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 my heart is, I hope they'll serve each other well. I hope they'll serve us well. I really do hope they'll serve the person who's called them into action well, because if that happens, it'll be good for all of us. But my question is: Are they? Are they? Are, 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 there, are there? Is there? Is there selfish intent? Is there just hype and, and emotion around it, or is there something real, some, something substantive that would cause them to want to, 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 to participate in the capacity they're, they're, they're choosing to participate? You see, we, as people of God, we're called to live in a a community and and a commitment to God and to others on a mission. And that that mission, that thing, this thing we're a part of, is bigger than any of us individually. In fact, it's bigger than than us as this group here collectively. It's bigger than anything I can pitch to you. Any any cliché or catchphrase any, any slogan I can pitch, it's, it's bigger than that. And, and I wonder if, 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 if we're really in it the way he wants us. There's this, there's this one who's the one calling us, really. It's not me. There's this one who's calling us, and he's greater than all of us. He is good. Good. Oh, oh. And when the night is holding on, he's holding on even tighter he's the one calling us. And, and, and I wonder, is it, he truly is, is this like this equal opportunity employer, like he'll just take anybody. He says, if you're weak and weary, come to me. He's not, looking for, he's not looking for the best or the most glorious. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the weary. He's looking for those who don't think they can do it. He's looking for those kinds of people. And that's pretty amazing. He's looking for people to come together who would maybe under no other circumstances come together work towards something. But he doesn't ask them just to work towards something. He asks them to do life together. People who wouldn't normally engage one another, who wouldn't want anything to do with one another, he's asking them to to come not just to to accomplish a task, he's saying get involved in each other's lives. I I heard a a, a story the other day uh, uh, of of somebody here at the church who was going through a bad deal. They said, listen to me, Pastor Aaron, you keep saying this idea that circles are better than rows. And I'm finding out it's absolutely true. And I, my heart wanted to leap out of my chest as we talked on the phone. Because life isn't good, but God is. Huh? Life isn't going the way it's supposed to be. But the people of God are being like Christ, and so they're being good. And somebody's life is being sustained and walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's beautiful. And it's awesome. And that's what we're, we're called. See, we, we, not only that, we, we have some adversaries who would work hard at keeping us from that. And you're going not going to think of, of pitchforks and red suits and things like that, right? And that's true. But he has these little imps that keep us from us, from from this mission, from this goal, that would fight against us and the mission and the God. There are things like selfishness and lethargy and apathy, things like laziness. He, he would, he would, those, are, those are enemies of us being able to do what we're supposed to do. Accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish. Of us doing life together. And they were, he uses them hard. I mean, the guy with the pitchfork. He uses those little imps well to try and defame our God. To try and keep us off task and off mission. And the cool thing about our commander in chief in this mission, he has a way of keeping us right on track. I'm going to say something several times today, and I want you to grab a hold of it. To to, to walk in a new and living way, focusing on eternity and covenant community, we must stay. To to walk in a new and living way, focusing on eternity and in covenant community, we must stay. Let's read Hebrews 10 together. Hebrews 10, verse 20, reads like this By his death, Jesus opened a new and light-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Back for just a second. The writer of Hebrews is giving giving a a discourse on why this new covenant thing is better than the old covenant thing. He's, He's talking about how Jesus is better than any other high priest. But the mode of worshiping God now that Jesus come and lived and died and was buried and was resurrected and has gone back to heaven is better. And there's no need for any more sacrifice. There's no need for rote ceremony. There's no need for that. And he says the way we have access is right here. Because of Jesus' death, he opened the new and lightening way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, I love that. He's not a mediocre high priest. He's not a so-so high priest. He's not just this low-end, like, scrub who just kind of halfway gets the job done. He is a great high priest. Is that awesome? We have this great high priest who rules over God's house. Not a structure, but a household, a family. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Amen, those are good words. I would guarantee to sit in this room right now. There's many of us who are not proud of a hunk of our lives. We're probably not proud of some words we uttered this week. We're probably not uh, proud of of some things we watched or some conversations we entered into or some things we listened to or some thoughts we had or something. There's something that would be probably covering over all of us in here that would be cause for guilt and for shame. But let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, this great high priest, his amazing blood covers that and sprinkles us with his goodness. And that's evaporated. Amen. Man, that's good stuff. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted. Listen to these words. God can be trusted to keep His promises. Verse 24. In light of that, let us speak of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. He talks of a new and living way. A couple weeks ago, I encouraged you about this, this idea of this new time, this new thing God started called the church, right? And in Acts 2.42, it kind of gives us this, this, this flow of, of, of how things transpired. There were these people who, who didn't know really know God. They knew the ceremony of God, they knew the structure, they knew the laws, they knew all that. They didn't really know Him. And and by grace through faith, God gives them access to Himself. He, he tears the, 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 the curtain in two where they could not get to Him. And all of a sudden, and then they, they, they're able to get to Him and He's able to get to them that sin is done away with. Grace through faith, which then leads to this idea of acceptance and assimilation. Suddenly, those without a hope, suddenly those without a home, suddenly those without faith, suddenly those without a heavenly father, they can count on, were assimilated in this new family called the church. They were accepted into the, the, the presence of God, literally. And it was awesome. And because of their devotion in that entity, several things happened. Growth happened. And I'm not talking about numbers I'm talking about people being changed into the likeness of the image of God and it's materialized by this idea of being together of this idea of generosity over and abundant and this idea they were, everything that they were involved in was changing, they were growing they were being transformed and they were multiplying 3,000 in a day the entire climate of their community that they lived in was being altered it was awesome Everything they knew had changed. It was a new time. It was a new moment. Everything around them was, was changing. Much like we're talking about here. The writer here says, because of the Jesus, we're, we're, we're ushered into a new and living, life-giving way, some translations say. These three words here, new, life-giving, and way, are very important words. They're, 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 the, the New Testament was written in Greek, I know some of you aren't Greek scholars. I get that. I'm just going to explain to you so those of you who are can hang, hang with me and I'm going to you what these words mean. The first word new is the Greek word prosphatos. Prosphatos. Check this out. It means freshly slain. As is Jesus is always thinking, he creates these paradoxes. This freshly slain, life-giving way. It means generally to be new. In a general terms, it means to be new, fresh, right? But the idea is freshly slain. The word life-giving is the Greek word zao, Z-A-O. It means to be alive, to be alive, but to be alive again. It has the idea of resurrection life attached to it. But it also has the idea of behavior and a pattern of living attached to it. Okay, the word "way" has to do with the word has to do with a journey, even for an extended period of time. So, literally, we can look at it this way: literally, we are those who are freshly killed sacrifices, yet living huh, in a particular way on a journey together. That's what he's saying. There. God's opened this way to us. A new it life-givingly. Remind me of Romans 12.1, this idea of being freshly slain and alive, right? It reads like this. And so dear brothers and sisters, there's an idea of us doing life together, brothers and sisters, right? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices. He's talking about the idea of Old Testament Ceremony being done away with, some New Testament life can happen, and he says the way you do that, they offered sacrifices once once on a particular day to cover the sin, and what he's asking us to do now is to live daily as a sacrifice, a new, freshly slain thing. Right? It reminds me of Paul. Paul says, "I am crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live." Right? And so. There's this idea that we as this people on this new thing, in this new time, we've got to put ourselves in a spot to live as freshly slain, life-giving people. is that crazy? On a journey for the long haul, together, brothers and sisters, he talks about this idea of it being in covenant. He talks about it. Did you catch that back there? Look at these words. The preacher will let us into the right presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our good covenant sprinkled with Christ's blood and make us clean. And our wife's been walking pure water. We get into this thing because Jesus started a new covenant. And he, he says, I sealed it with my blood. He would take a cup full of wine at the, what we call a Passover dinner. The night before he was betrayed, he would hold up this cup and say, This symbolizes my blood shed for you. To begin a new covenant. Something, we're, we're getting grinsed something and we're starting something new. You're in this with me. I'm in this with you. You guys should be in this with one another because he would say a word in this same moment where he'd go like this A new commandment I give unto you. He'd give it the first two Love God for your heart like one of you, as well as you love your neighbor. A same anybody in close proximity, like you love yourself. But then he ups the ante and sticks to one that kind of sandwiches in between the two of those. Love one another, you other brothers and sisters, your, your 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 close compadres who are doing this dinner with you. Love one another as I have loved you. And right around that time he makes this statement: greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Amen. Mm-hmm. Woo! And so he, he's asking us to be a part, to be to, to commit, to be devoted to this idea of covenant and this idea that he's doing something, and that we got to be in this together, <laughs> up in the ante a little bit. But he also says and it's going to be in community that we can be woven together in the fabric of Christ. He used the idea of of, 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 of this household, God's house, God's family, not a structure, a household, a family. A getting together of people who've been adopted, Ephesians 1 would say, into, into a new family. And there's three things we as partakers in this covenant community have to be aware of that he tells us to do in this. The first word there is we should motivate one another. We're holding tight, Have we hold tight to the, to the hope we affirm by motivating one another. Now here's this, in several translations, the word there is provoke, which is a very great word. In its original language, the word that they translate motivate or provoke means this, to stimulate, to instigate. One Bible translation uses the idea of two people so convicted about what they're about they would literally bump heads together. Why would I show the Buffalo Bills locker room a minute ago? Because that fella is convinced that they're able to do something and he don't mind making no bones about it. Some of you think our encouragement of one another and our motivation has to be all nicey nicey. And because sometimes you feel your emotions getting up, you hold back. And because you think somebody else's emotions might get up, you hold back. The idea here, this word "motivate," is the idea of sharpening. Anybody ever sharpened anything? Anybody ever taken an axe and put it on a grinder? Anybody ever sharpened a knife? That's not a fun process. Sparks fly. Huh? Pieces fall off. Things get hot. So we've got to keep quit playing nicey, nicey church games and not get anywhere. We gotta want to be in each other's lives. We gotta want to call each other on important things. We gotta want to help each other get down the road to the point that we'll just go out if we have to. Not because we're angry and mean, because we love and we love deeply. We're holding dear to those things that, that piece paper, our kids are being digestion for the next month. We're going to love God with our heart. We love one another oh, like to love ourselves. We're going to love one another like Christ loved us. Jesus at times wouldn't make bones about things. He, he looked at Peter, one of his best news is, he goes, Get behind me, Satan. Uh-huh. If I said it to some of you, you'd leave and never come back. <laughs> You don't have the heart of God. We, will, we don't digest that well. When we're told those kinds of things. And, and the Proverbs 27, uh, 17 through 19, we like this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Look at these next words. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Verse 19 says, As in water, faith, as in water, faith reflects faith, so the heart of a man reflects the man. Here's the idea. These things come together. God's really concerned about us being in community together and us working to help each other to do two things. Have a right heart and bear good fruit. He's more concerned about your heart than your comfort. Yes. He wants more than anything for your heart to be right. And for your heart to be right, you're going to be approached about things your heart's corrupted with. you gotta, you got to have that. He, he wants you to, 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 to grow and he wants the fruit to be a part of your life, to be long lasting. And honestly, most of the time in scripture, fruit has to do with character. Yes. Not how many notches of sharing the gospel are on your belt. You know, not how many ministries you've served in. Not, 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 not how much you gave in a tithe or an offering. how many mission trips you've been on. It's about you growing to be like Christ. That's long and lasting fruit. Because in that long and lasting fruit, then there are mission trips. Then there is giving. Then there is opportunity to serve God. Then there are life changes, Then there are opportunities to serve God. Because you are what you say you are. And that's good stuff, man. Give me that kind of people and I'll be in that all day long. I got a few friends sitting in here among you guys. At times, our wives have thought we'd never be friends again. Because we get each other's grill sometimes. We have at it and we sort it out, then we hug and get on down the road. And it's a good thing, because we need it. There have been times I needed it, there have been times they've needed it. And if we if we hold back, we're not loving each other like Christ loved us. So we've got to work at one another. I spent a long time on that. Let's keep going. Next we've got to do is assemble with one another. This has to do with this idea here. It has to do with the smaller gatherings too. We, we've got to be a part. We can't make excuses why we can't be a part of the knit fabric of the body of Christ. I'm too busy. I'm, i I got things going on. You need the community of faith. You need to make space for it. This is in the scripture, right here. These are not my words. These are his words. He said we should find more and more space to be together as we see the day of Jesus approaching. Amen. Man. Man. I had somebody approach me. I told you guys last week that I'm, I've been asked to be a part of something and involving influence leadership in the, in the community. And, and I, the person who, one of the people who approached me about that said, they're trying to get other Christians to step in and be a part. And they keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. I don't have time. The funny part about it is this they're the same people who grab the Chillicothe Gazette and complain about what's going on in our community and be aggravated. I won't step up. <clears throat> so we're gonna make time for what matters. We're gonna make time. I don't have time. My first response, and this one I was provoking, like, no, I don't have time. Hallelujah. Hell okay. I feel like God and then, and then I it. look, I went, I did Moses. You know Moses? Stands Burning Bush? Well, I'm slow as feet. I don't have this problem. I don't know how to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And he stopped me real quick. And went, "Listen, dude. Since when did your abilities and your inactivity in- ever stop me from asking you to do something?" That's right here. I look back though. Go, Never. <laughs> God wants us to do what matters. Us gathering together is very important. Jesus would say these words: It's the love that's expressed among us will let the rest of the world know we are His disciples." That's what he says. By this, would all men know you are my disciples, by God, the love you share one with each other. Not even the love you share with them. The love is expressed between us. Which brings me to the next point is this idea of encouraging one another. The word there means to comfort or exhort, but it also has this, 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 these other two words, other two thoughts attached to it. It means to desire, to call for See, sometimes we need somebody to get right up in our face, shoot straight, speak truth to us, even though we don't want to hear it. Rub off the rough, ed- the rough edges, right? And sometimes we're in the middle of things where things are really bad, and what we need is like, dude, I'm so sorry. We need that pat on the back. I hate you going through what you're going through. I'm here with you. You, I know it's rough. I'm praying. I don't know what else to say, but I want you to know God's, God's for you, He's not against you. We bring comfort. It's an encouraging thing. But the idea is not only, do I, not, not, not only do, do, do I offer it, I want it. Not only do I want it, I want you in my life. I want to be assembled with the rest of the, the body of Christ. I want to be in small group. I want you to be in small group with us. I want that. I, if I rewrite it, like, i I want your life to be all it can be. That's why I would motivate you. But I also want to encourage you. This idea is, I want I want your presence in my life so we can both be what God wants. That's the idea. See, to, to, to live to walk in a new and living way, we've got to be f- focusing on eternity and covenant community. We must stay. That's the only way we're going to get there. That's it. That, 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 that's all. We've got to stay focused on eternity. Focused on spiritual things. See, the Bible would tell us we've not really come to come to a physical location. Okay? That's not what we've come here. You guys think of Church Riven as a white building with black shutters and a black roof. Maybe a parking lot that needs some work. Nice fireplace, walking in the door. Whatever, mauve colored, whatever that color is, fuse. That's not church triumphant. That's the building church triumphant meets in. Okay, this is church triumphant. right. This is just the shaft. This is just the building. One day, the Bible says, "Elements of earth and heat." This will be gone. But this. Will be beside the Savior in heaven. Yeah. I mean, come on, no. right? <coughs> Hebrews twelve eighteen reads like this: You have not come to a physical mountain, a physical place, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind, like the Israelites did Mount Sinai. Verse twenty two goes on to say, No, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the countless thousands of angels. Right now, so far them like a physical place, right? But listen to the rest of the terminology: the, the thousands of angels in joyful gathering. Verse 23, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You've come to a gathering of people, not a physical location you come to something spiritual, not temporal, not physical. You've come to a physical place to make sure that happens, but what goes on here is spiritual. It's eternal. We cannot have this place and still do a lot of this. We can be under a tree. We can be in a storefront. We can be in somebody's stinging garage. We can be in anywhere. And the things that go on there a are, are, are the real substance would still go on. Because... It's a personal thing between us and God. It's a relational thing between us and one another. And we can accomplish that almost any place. Without sound system. Without crazy lights. Without stuff on the screen. We can't done. We've got to want it. I want to be near it. I want to be in First Peter two four and five. Look at this. You're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. See, every everyone is attached to Jesus. Everything is attached to this person called Jesus, who made a great sacrifice for us. He is the cornerstone. Everything that we do here is attached to him and what he wants. His gospel, his kingdom, his word. And then we get a chance to be framed into the the household of God. We are living stones. God's not building a physical structure. A lot of churches equate how productive they are by how many building programs they've got going on. God don't care about that. He doesn't. He cares about lives being built or He cares about buildings being built. He cares about people. A quality of relation between Himself and them and them and the rest of the body of Christ to get this thing accomplished. And so you've got to to read and see what the scriptures say. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices to please God. This idea is running through. Do you see that? Our lives are to be lived not for ourselves, but for the glory of God and the benefit of others, particularly the ones in the house of faith that we're locked up with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on an ongoing basis, to motivate and assemble and encourage one another. That's what it's about. When you're living stones, those things run up against each other. My brother-in-law, Patrick, a construction guy, he's talking about dry stack stones. Am I right? These things just built one on top of each other. They had to touch one another and get close to one another. And for this thing to be built and they're locked the way it's supposed to be. I know a little bit about construction only because he teaches me some things every now and then. I know once you when, when all pieces are locked in, the building's not as, not, not as strong as it should be. It's easier to push it down. You have to lock the whole thing together. If one of you chooses not to really lock in, all of a sudden that creates a weakness. Uh And the building can't stand under great duress if there's weakness somewhere. Am I right? Am I right? Well, ask the expert. So we're to be together. We're in this not merely physical place. We're in this spiritual congregation. Together in covenant that involves our hearts, and our minds, and is by the love and the blood of Jesus. That's it. Hebrews ten fourteen. For by that one offering, what offering? The offering of Jesus on the cross. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? That's a paradox. You've been made perfect, but you're in the process of being made holy. How many of y'all feel perfect right now? You know why you're not? Because you're in the process of being made holy positionally, you're made perfect. If you were standing before God, you asked the profession, he's like, dude, you're in. You're like, man, I'm a messed up mess. He's like, I don't care. the blood of Jesus. And you better come on in. You're, you're perfect. Yes. But you're being made holy as you walk this thing out. You're being made holy. You know why? Because you're, you're, you're locked up with the Word of God, you're locked up with the Holy Spirit, and you're locked up with the people sitting next to you. That's how you're being made holy. Okay? Let's keep reading. Huh? And the Holy Spirit also testifies this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never remember their sin their lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Praise God. He's taken this thing and put it on the inside of us. It has to do with our hearts. We want our hearts to be right. We want our hearts to be right. We keep ourselves in front of the word of God. We keep ourselves knowing what we believe in. And we keep encouraging one Lord to, 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 to chase towards that. To strive towards that. That he would, he, would, he would put a passion in our heart to serve him. He would put thoughts in our mind that renews us and transforms us, right? And so we get get transformed by being in his word, being congregated together around his word and and, and his mission and his spirit and all of that stuff. And then then we, we keep growing and then we're transformed by being woven into it. He's transforming us because we're woven into this thing. Romans 12, 2 reads like this Don't copy the hatred custom of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How are you, how are you changed by the way you think? Another pastor says, You're renewed by the Word of God. Your mind is renewed by the washing of the Word of God. Here's the thing you're not going to get all of it by reading it by yourself. You need the body of Christ. God has set some in his church as gifts apostles, prophets, evangelists. Pastors, teachers, why to get us to give us different angles around the Word of God? What God's saying, what God's compelling us towards? And I can, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of us have an think of it, one of those five things in us. All of us, we want the lost to be saved. We want a to preach the gospel. We want to nurture people like a pastor supposed. We want to teach when God shows us. We want to give it away. When we're in our prayer closet, God shows us something. We want to be used prophetically to, to bring something about. We want to launch into new, new directions, start something new like a, an apostle would have. You know, we we got to have it in us, all of us, sometimes one of those things feels like us. Funny thing about the rest of Romans 12, I read Romans 12, 1, 12, 2. Now, if you start 12, 3, he tells us what it looks like to be woven into the family of God. You take what you have and you give it to other people expressing genuine affection. You get it in verse 13. If you give, if you're a giver, give. If you're a leader, lead. Or lead if, you're a, if, you're, if you speak, speak well. He I mean, goes through this whole list of just, just things uh, 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 that we can do to benefit the body of Christ, to be locked in together. But it starts because we present ourselves a living sacrifice. We don't know what we want anymore. We want to be a living sacrifice for Christ. We let our minds be renewed by the encouragement we receive by being together and in His Word. And then we give away what God's given us. And it makes us tightly knit together. It's a beautiful Covenant. To walk in a new and living way, focusing on eternity in the covenant community, we all must stay. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. I hear people tell me that all the time. You can't, you can't be a Lone Ranger and, uh, and comply with the Bible. It is impossible. He has never called somebody to walk it out by themselves ever. Now sometimes where God will leave him led to real lonely places. And he'll lie to, to pull out on Jesus. Like, oh, what does, does anybody even care? God's like, listen, you're out here, you big jemote, you ran from everyone. There's 7,000 people out here and their underneath. You're all by yourself, straight up and back around. He can't get that to him. Amen. I can't see God doing it. Look, he's a dad. I do mean, yeah, you guys know, have to be up with your kids sometimes. Yes. Huh? Am I telling the truth? Yes. Huh? And then do it out of spite? and not do out of anger? And like, dude, I love you. Straighten up and act right. Uh-huh. But it's not just this spiritual congregation thing. It's a kingdom. And it's powerful. It's substantial. The Bible would say it's unshakable. Hebrews 12, 25 reads like this. Be careful you don't refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. The one is half so that's Jesus. For he, if the people that going not escape, when they refuse to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks up to us in heaven. When God went from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so only unshakable things will remain. Some of you, you're under some duress because God's shaken off the temporary man. Some of you are under duress, like you've never been under before. You know what he's doing. He, he's making you ready for heaven. He's making you. He's reminding you that this is not your home. Things that don't matter, you let go of. Things that do matter, you grab a hold of. Amen. That's some some of it. That's what that's what's happening. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, verse twenty-eight. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. This is the idea of that sacrifice thing. Because worship is the songs that we sing. It's the life that we lead. Worship is a lifestyle. To literally worship God means to bow before Him as the King. You with me? For our God is a devouring fire. He goes back again to that idea of what the Old Testament looked like. we present living sacrifices. God would consume the fire, consume them on the altar with fire. That's what he would do. Think Elijah with the prophets of Baal. Boom! He puts the stuff on the altar. And just takes it, right? Think of, uh, of in, the, in the books of Chronicles where they, they dedicate the temple and then the smoke filled, filled the temple they couldn't even bear to, to, to minister in there because God was consuming the sacrifices. And what he's saying now is God is consuming fire. He's devouring our lives. Consuming our lives. He wants every piece, every part. He wants wants your your home relationships. He he wants your your work relationships. He wants your your, your heart to be right so you can be generous. He he wants all of it. He wants the things you're bitter about. He wants the things you're unforgiving about. He wants the things you're you're scared about. He wants the things you're happy about. He wants all of it. He's a consuming fire. And when that happens, then then the, the blaze is on. And the light is shining. And people run to it. See, see, he he he's got this thing happening. Think about this. If it's a kingdom, a kingdom has to be a sovereign territory, right? Think of think terms of this. All sovereign territories have a geography, right? A place. They have a bibliography right? or, a, or a set of things they've laid out that determine its boundaries, its legalities, and its strategies. This constitutes its philosophy, its theology. And it discerns its population. Okay? If God if God has a kingdom, then he has some of this already laid out. Are you hearing me? He has a place, but it's not, it's not a geographical place physically. He's got a people, and he, he's using his word to discern who his people are. He wants to live by a certain philosophy, by a certain theology. Are you hearing me? He said certain things are a go, and certain things aren't a go. Even in these physical kingdoms, these things that can be seen can be seen are just signifying what's going on outwardly, what's going on inwardly of the people. There's this thing called the American Way, right? Whether, whatever side the political aisle you end up on, listen, listen to me. You have to admit it's pretty awesome to watch a peaceful transition of power, and I want to believe that that's what America's really made of. There are things that make us what we are, and those are things that are written down. Those those things expose our hearts, I hope, as we carry them out. You understand what I'm saying? How much more in the kingdom of God, right? How much more in God's throne, around God's throne, around God's people, should what's going on already dictate it out, expose, and bring about something that already should be happening inwardly? Are you with me? Soon he's coming. This kingdom will become physical. It will literally take a presidency on this planet we sang about a little bit ago. One day, he's going to make it all right, man. He's going to sit on the throne. The old will go. We'll talk about this next week. The old will go. The new will come. And we, we, are, we get to be the participants in that. Not only that, we need to be the propagators of it. Jesus said, the end will not come until this gospel is preached to the whole world. And he's going to use us as individuals, but he's going to use us, more importantly, as the church to ensure that that happens. Two, so in the meantime, he's consuming this living sacrifices thing this way. First, the sacrifices are made acceptable not by how good we do them, but because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. We can get it wrong all day long. If our heart's right, God's like, dude, I got that. I'm covered that. That's right. Right? It's instigated by our connection to one another. Our connection to one another will instigate us to keep going, Right? And right now, this consuming fire, this connection, is consuming, is consuming of our sacrifices, uh, is unveiling His kingdom now for the world to see. <clears throat> you catching that? He's coming soon, but His kingdom is on display right now by how we conduct life, how we conduct, how committed the the we to His mission, to His heart, to His people. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.